shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. That's why God chose these men. Christ's kingdom, including and especially who he chooses and uses for his purposes, does not always line up with our expectations in any age prior to this one, and certainly not now, and definitely not in our culture. In fact, I was reading this week a 2019 survey found that the vast majority of church-going American Christians were unfamiliar with the following term. You ready for this? Unfamiliar. Vast majority. This is 2019. The Great Commission. You say that phrase and they'll be like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what that is. I, I, don't, I don't think I've heard that phrase before. I'm not familiar with what that means. Even among those who said they were familiar with it, 25% of those Christians surveyed who recognized the phrase couldn't explain what it was. Folks, we're failing. <laughs> if that's the state of the church in our culture, we're failing. Now, only a measly 17% were able to explain the Great Commission. That's absolutely unbelievable to me, and it's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. So what, what does that say about the church in America? What does it say about our biblical literacy? And most importantly, what does it say about our obedience to Jesus who gave us the Great Commission? If you don't know that it's... If you don't know the Great Commission, how can you obey the Great Commission? So it means we're failing. It means the church in America is failing. It means that a great many people who warm seats or pews on Sunday morning aren't taking the truth of God's word out of the doors of the church and into the culture. They're not letting God's word get into their hearts and minds. And so, well, well people could sit there and, and, and receive the word and never take it. No, no, no. If you receive the word, you, you have to take it. The, the Spirit begins to work in you because the Word is in you, and you go. It's, it's not a, we received it, but we don't want to take it. No, they're not receiving the Word of God. They're not letting it actually get into their hearts. Uh, if the gospel isn't getting into people, then it's definitely not going out. And we're still, it means that many preachers and pastors are spending 90 minutes every week telling moral stories and then sprinkling some Jesus and Bible in so that they can call it church. It's, it's disobedience to God's word, and it's a recipe for disaster. So apostasy, this word apostasy in Christianity, is the repudiation of Christ and the central teachings of Christianity by someone who say they were formerly a Christ follower. Okay, I find that most Christians in the United States are not apostatizing. That, that, that's a deliberate decision to disengage from Christianity, I don't find that most people are doing that. What I find is that most people are anemic and they're on life support because they're, they don't sit under sound biblical teaching and exegesis. Exegesis is that, that technical word, a seminary word for, it means out of the text. It means somebody who's preaching is trying to take the meaning that we need to apply out of the actual text, not reading it into the text. That's eisegesis. We're exegeting the text, and, and there aren't a ton of churches in our land that do that well or consistently. And so when you stop and look at the reality, uh, man, 
you, you think about the, like m- the level of military preparedness, and then you slap that over the church. You think through the lens of like that level of preparedness, it's no wonder the American church is atrophying and withering away. We're not, we're not actually looking at what our commander has said, what his words are, what his directives are, and, we're not d- and if we're not doing that, then we're certainly not putting them into practice. And so this is the state of the church. Um, we, we, we must be a people of the book. It, the book is our lifeline. The book, the, the Bible. We have to eat the word daily. You got to eat it. You, know, you remember it was one of the prophets had the scroll and the angel said, eat it. And he said, oh man, it was like, it was like honey at first and then it was bitter. It was bitter in my stomach. Because, it, man, the word was so good from the Lord. But when he started to ruminate on it and all the prophecies about what was coming, it was like, oh, man. Oh. But, we, but we, we have to eat the word of God every week, every day. And, and, I, and I can't, I, I wish I could. I wish I could clone myself and come to your houses and just, I'd just live in your spare room, every single one of you. And we'd have Bible study every day and it would be great. But you've got to, we've got to be self-feeders. Right, um, we got to eat the word daily, and we have to be a people on mission. So we 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 take the word in as our sustenance spiritually, so that we can go on mission with God. It's a great uh, it's great when the lost come and see, and they they come to church from time to time, and especially on holidays. We're gonna have a Christmas Eve service this year, by the way, and um, lost people will come. Um, but we must be a people on mission. We are largely supposed to be not a come see religion but a go tell faith and it's in this great when the lost come see from time to time and on holidays but we're the ones who've been saved by jesus we're the ones tasked with his mission the great commission so just keep that in mind this morning as we go to the text we're in our harmony study and we're in section 98 if you have your harmony that'll be easy to find but uh, if you're just looking at a paper bible or your online bible it's matthew 9 35 to 38, and then Mark 6 is this first section. So let me read the text to you, and then we'll unpack this. So Matthew 9, 35 to 38, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I love that word compassion. I know, I know I've said this before. That word compassion in the Greek is, is, is a, it sounds like a gross word. It's splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. And it's just the, ch- it's like the churning of your stomach. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, his, and, his, and he, he was so uh, distraught about that situation. You know, it makes your stomach turn. You ever have that? He was splagnizomai. And so, he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then Mark 6, uh, the second half of uh, verse 6 says, and he went about among the villages teaching. Okay, so let's just take this section really quickly the scene is this scene is taking place about one full year after some of the same people living in the same area had tried to kill jesus 
if you remember back, uh, so this, this has been about a year uh, on the timeline of the Gospels. Jesus had come out of that time of testing in the wilderness, and he'd ended up in the synagogue in Nazareth, remember, uh, and, and he read from the text that day, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and he applied that to himself. And, and those who heard him that day ended up trying to throw him off the top of a cliff because they considered what he had read and how he had applied it to himself to be blasphemous. And these people living in the region of Galilee stand in stark contrast to most of those we just read about last week in the city of Capernaum. Do you remember how responsive people were to Jesus? They were seeking him out. The woman with the issue of blood was seeking him out. The two blind men came seeking Jesus. They were believing and they had faith. But here in the region of the Galilee, the place where Jesus grew up, it's, it's people marked largely by unbelief. And we talked about that too. We talked about faith and unbelief. And so the, the text tells us that as Jesus was going along through all the cities and villages, he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, many of you are not actual shepherds. Now, if you have sheep or goats, <laughs> nobody. Well, well, okay. Chickens, chickens don't count, sorry. Um, Think, think about this. What is the shepherd's role? Now, if you, had a fen- if you have a fenced-in property, a fenced-in yard, it's a little easier, right? But if you were like, back in the time of the Bible, back in the time of King David, and you were a shepherd, just think about that for a moment. In fact, Psalm 23, which is a psalm of David, gives us a most apt description of the life of a shepherd. L- let's look at the text. There's one, one through it's just six verses here. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Because why? Because he supplies everything that I actually need. Not not everything I want, but everything that I need. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, if if you're a sheep, that's a great thing. Green pastures means lots of food. He leads me beside still waters. That's a great thing if you're a sheep. Sheep are stupid. They will stick their whole head, you know, they'll, they'll like start snorting up water. And it's like, still, if you've got them by a running stream, they, they could drown themselves drinking. It, having still water, having a still pool of water where they can drink is a much better thing for a sheep. They're not that bright. Um, he says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You you prepare a table before me. You see, he's, he's moving now away. David's moving away from the sheep analogy to the, to the, to the humanity side. He says, you prepare a table, but the sheep don't come to the table, right? Just so you know. Uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. That's a kingly thing. That's, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm the, been made the ruler of this group of people. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's like I can't even, I can't even contain all the goodness that God's pouring out into my life. It says, um, Surely goodness and mercy, verse 6, shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, you think, oh, man, that's such a great psalm. And then the last line, it's like, oh, yeah, and I get to dwell in the house of the Lord. And that's like the, no, that's like the big deal. Everything else is temporal here, now, and we have a dwelling place with the Most High God for eternity. That's, that's the climax right there. That's the big deal. And by the time we, we, you know, we get to the New Testament, we get to Paul's letters, Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, has this to say about spiritual shepherds. And we're talking about shepherds here. So listen to this. Um, oh, I said Paul. I meant Peter. Excuse me. This is 1 Peter 5. I, I, I said Paul. In fact, I wrote Paul in my notes. But uh, this is 1 Peter 5. Uh, he says, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, here's what he says to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. If, if you aspire to be an elder in a church and, and, and you feel like oh, somebody's making me do this, I don't want to do this, you shouldn't be an elder. It's not about being under compulsion. In fact, um, Peter says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. By the way, none, none of the elders here get paid. Well, I get paid. Um, but this is my full-time job, right? But we don't pay our elders, we right? It's a volunteer thing. Um, not, not for shameful gain, but with eagerness. All of our elders here at Emmaus Road delight to, to help steer the ship and, and jump in and do whatever's needed to make this a healthy church, right? Um, not domineering over those in, char- in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's not a top-down model. It's a service model. It's a model of serving the people of God. Yeah, not domineering, but being examples. And when the chief sh- So when the chief shepherd appears, Peter says... Um, you're going to receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, He opposes pride. Any pride that wells up in us, he opposes that. But, but when we're humble, he, he loves to pour out grace on us. Paul writes to Timothy that um, if he, he, he had a lot to say about eldership too. He said that if any man aspires to the office of elder, he aspires to a good thing, but a hard thing. It's not always easy. Right, and I praise God, again, as you should, for, for God's provided for this local body a handful of worthy men who shepherd the flock with love and diligence. Man, it's taken a huge load off of me, honestly, the last six months or more to have other godly men who, who can lead at that level to step in and take some of the load. It's been amazing. The next thing Jesus says here in Matthew 9 is he says that the harvest is plentiful, but there's a problem. There aren't a lot of laborers. There aren't a lot of people who want to go out into the field and pick grain or, or reap in the field. That's a problem. Because you've got to have workers to bring in the harvest. Otherwise, the harvest just sits in the field, and the rains come, and then the cold weather comes, and it just it molds, and it, and it dies, and it's worthless. It just, it just sits there. It's not edible anymore. It's not useful. 
the remedy that Jesus puts forth is that we're to pray earnestly for God's people and as God's people for, for a response to that need that, that we would go. We would go and make the gospel known to people. Now, there's a sneaky little thing that happens in the middle of all that praying, okay? The, the, the praying but not going people, and you know who you are, <laughs> praying but not going, uh, they start to see the enormity of the need in any given place, in any given community. And, and, and all that pleading with God to send laborers into the field, here's what happens. You start praying. You, you start really doubling down in your, your devotional life and praying, Lord, send, send workers into the harvest field. Send people to, to share the gospel with the people in our town. You know what happens? Suddenly he calls you. And you're praying one day and you just have this, this immediate strong sense and recognition that and all this praying for other people to go and do the work of God, maybe he's calling me to do his work. And, and, and this, that's a sneaky little thing that the Lord does. It's, it's awesome. I love it when he does it because many praying men and women begin to have an itch to go into the mission field, to go into their towns and, and, and into, into Stanwood and Camano and, and North County and Skagit County and, and to begin to share the gospel with people. And some of you sitting here this morning might just find yourselves on the mission field one day somewhere overseas. Um, and I, 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 don't, I don't even, uh, you don't have to do that. You can just do it right here. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go on board and raise support with a missions agency. You can be a missionary right here in Stanwood. And, 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 I, and I'm telling people about Jesus, I, I hope that you, you, you feel a compulsion or a growing sense that, man, the, the hour is late and Jesus is coming and all of this is going to burn. And so I've got, I've got just a little bit of time to make him known. I pray for that. I hope for that. This next section, we, we just roll right on into Ma- Matthew 10. And this is a long chunk. So I want to give you uh, the next section of text. It's going to be a little bit of reading here. And, and then Luke has something to say. Uh, it's Matthew and then, and then Luke and a little bit of Mark. But let me just read the text for you. This is uh, in your harmony. This would be section 99. And it's Matthew 10. And so Matthew 10 starts with this. Um, he, called to him, he, he called to him his 12 disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits and and to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, the name of the 12, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and then Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now the twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is a very specific mission field. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out Demons, you received without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, 
Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will, dis- they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will raise and rise up against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. What an incredible pep rally this is. You're going to be hated by everybody, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying, if they're saying that about me, you you should expect that too, right? So have no fear of them, verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetop. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are not, and, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, knowing? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you, that's not a difficult thing. Um, fe- fear not. Fear not. It's <laughs> like zero back there in the front. Fear not, therefore you you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. He goes on. It's the same passage. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one doesn't seem so far-fetched. And a, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Whew. All right, 
let's look at the parallels. You got Mark 6 and Luke 9. Short passages. They have much less to say than Matthew. Mark 6, 7 to 13 says, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he charged them not to take anything for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil those who were sick and healed them. And then Luke 9, 1 through 5, parallel passage. He called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and, and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Then whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so with this last section, we have Jesus giving instructions to the newly recognized and appointed apostles um, as to what ministry is to look like within the bounds of Israel. They're within the bounds of Israel. This is not the Great Commission. This is a commission. They're, this is the first time they're going to be called apostles, but this is strictly for the nation of Israel. We have a complete list of all 12, including Judas. Luke tells us that they're sent in pairs, two by two. This has to do with the corroboration of witnesses in the first century Jewish culture. Deuteronomy, go back to the law. Go back to Deuteronomy 19, 15. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against any person for a crime or, any, or, or for any wrong in connection with an offense that's been committed. So one person's testimony is not enough, is what, is what Moses said, what God said through Moses, to be more accurate. He says there in, in verse 15, Only the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. It has to be at least two or three to establish the reality. And again, this, so, so, so the, this is why Jesus sends them in pairs, right? And this commissioning, again, was for this particular work among the lost sheep of Israel. The great commission is yet to come on the timeline that we're working through. Jesus is um, he's sending them out in pairs without him, and he's trained these men, and he's brought them to this stage where they, they need to own it for themselves. You know, he's, he's had them by the hand in that first stage, walking with them. Oh, it's going to be okay, guys. Watch. Watch what Jesus does. Watch what, you know, and just like a dad with a little kid. Oh, it's okay. Just, just stay right there. Watch this, right? And then they go along, and as, you know, you know, as your kid grows up and they become you know, more than a toddler, they're kind of in that adolescent stage. They want to help some, and they can help some. And, they, and the more they help, the, the less help they are sometimes. And, and, you know, but you work with them, and you love your kids, and they're, they're growing up, and then, and then they grow up some more, and they're, they're preteen, you know, kind of almost teenagers, and they can take on more responsibility. And this is the process Jesus is working with in these guys spiritually in their maturation. And so um, this is their first time going out in pairs without Jesus. He's still training these men, but he's brought them to the stage where they need to own it, right? And, and the only way to do that is to send them out in pairs and let them try. Let them go do. 
Jesus' process was to love and model ministry for these men and then to give them opportunities like a parent teaching a child. And the more they've walked with Jesus and ministered alongside him, the more equipped they become. But at some point, you've got to go let them do it. And, and even if they don't do it perfectly, you've got to let them you got, you got to let them try, right? And, and so this mission trip in pairs is a significant step in bringing them to the place. Once Jesus ascends back into heaven, they're going to be able to go forward without him being there physically at all. That's the goal. He's training these men to be prepared to take the gospel to the nations with him having ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, coming to indwell the church. So this is all preparation. Um, and, and so, they're, 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 you know, again, they're going to receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but we're not going to skip ahead. Jesus gives them authority over demons. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. And this is the first time they're going to go minister without Jesus being there holding their hand. It, it is the next right step to prepare them for the day when they carry the gospel to the world. And he's going to commission them again before he ascends into heaven. But their mission field is designated as the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, their mission is to preach that God's kingdom is near. Jesus tells them specifically to heal the sick, raise the dead. Can you imagine? You just stop for a minute and think about this. You've been with Jesus for, for a couple of years, you know, for like maybe a year and a half, and you've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him speak a word. You, you were there at Jairus' house, and you heard the words Talitha Kumi, and the girl woke up, and she had been dead. You've seen this, and now he's telling you, go do it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Go raise the dead. And he gave them the authority to do all these things. And they are to give freely just as they've received and to remain unburdened. And, and, and then there's this blessing or a curse upon each town as they come to it and as they leave it, depending on the receptivity of the people there. And beyond all this, Jesus warns them that they will be hated by the enemies of God. Because of who they are, because of Jesus has chosen them, and they now stand in the place of taking the message of the gospel, salvation to the world. The enemy hates them. They're going to experience religious persecution, and they'll be called before kings and governors. And, it, and, and, and that sounds like a really terrifying thing until you realize that you go on and read the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, every one of these guys is preaching the gospel when they're arrested, preaching the gospel when they stand before Pontius Pilate, preaching the gospel when they stand before the procurator of this region, and they're, they're, preaching, they're preaching every chance they get. They know their lives are forfeit, and they know they have eternity in heaven. They're promised that they'll experience persecution in general, but particularly from their own families because of their allegiance to Christ. And in all of this, the Spirit of God's going to help them because that's who He is. That's what He does. He's the parakletos. He's the helper, right? So verse 24 and 25 here speak to the faithful, literally those who are filled with faith, down through the ages to you and me. And we do well to remember that Jesus calls us to discipleship as, as the people of God, and He also calls us to persecution. You, you can't live this life making Jesus known and not experience some form of persecution. I mean, you could even go back to uh, the, the magical time of the 1950s when everybody was a Christian in the United States. You, you still couldn't go 
out into the culture and make Jesus known and not experience some form of persecution. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about like getting beat up physically, but you know, just being called an idiot or, you know, it, it, it's, it's on a spectrum, right? From um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, to, to being killed. And there's a spectrum here. You can't make Jesus known to lost people and not experience something on, the t- on, the, on this spectrum. That's just the, on, the God's honest truth. So we, we would do well to remember that. These are the certainties of the Christian life, though they take different forms in different, different contexts. But nevertheless, the disciples and, and us, we go, we go forth with confidence. I don't know if you know that word. I'm, you know that I'm a word nerd, but con is the Latin prefix that means with, and fide is a Latin word for faith. So it's with faith. Confidence is being with faith. They, they, their confidence that they have is that Jesus carries them that even when people oppose them and threaten to kill them or at some point in the future after they've gone to the nations, they, they are killed. They do die. And just as we know today, they can kill this body, but they can't touch our souls. And God's the one who cares for both the body and the soul. So this is an important statement as Jesus follows up follows it up with the reality of the conflict that the gospel is going to bring. I mean, yeah, these guys are probably feeling pretty euphoric about, man, we get to, he, we're graduating to the next level and he's sending us in pairs. Yeah, but there's a dark side that you're going to experience too. Now, the glory of God and the love of God and the goodness of God sustains us. But as you go to the lost, you're going to see the darkness too. You're going to see it. It's the proof that love is obedience. We're to take up our cross and follow him. And we'll take up our cross. We're to go and take the message of the gospel. But that's not all. There's a reward. There's a reward. Look at the compensation we're to receive after re- running the race with endurance. We're going to be honored by the Son in the presence of the Father. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Do you, ever, do, do you ever, really, I mean, honestly, do you ever stop and try to think about what heaven will be like? Or what it would be like to just arrive at heaven in the moment of your death? And to be completely, like, every, like, if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you know what I'm talking about, just to feel like, this is, a, this is so much more than I could have even imagined. And to feel like the wind is just taken right out of you. And go, wow, wow, why did I ever hesitate? Why did I ever quake with fear when it, when it came to sharing the gospel? Why? And we'll all have that experience in that moment. If we could take a hold of that right now, we're going to be honored by the Son in the presence of the Father. And that means that even if we lose our life in this life, we will have life for eternity in the presence of God and in His kingdom. So what do we do with this? Um, I think as, I, as we look at how the disciples have grown from coming to faith to this point in their life and ministry, it, it's pretty incredible. Jesus is the the master tactician. He's the master disciple maker. And he has brought these men from being blue-collar, podunk, illiterate guys, with the exception of maybe Matthew, who's a tax collector, to being willing to go and articulate spiritual truths and theological concepts to people in their immediate context. And, and, And then beyond that, 
and, and they've already come so far in their obedience to Jesus and, and in trusting the Lord, even as he puts them in new circumstances to facilitate their growth. I believe one of the big parallels for us today as Jesus' disciples is submitting yourself and your home to Jesus. He, he, you know, not all of us can go door to door. We don't all have the, you know, some of us work many hours a week to provide for our families, and that's a very important function. We don't always have the freedom to go into the community consistently, day after day, week after week, and make the, make the gospel known. But, um, you know, that's, that's okay. If we're submitting ourselves and our homes to Jesus, and we're looking for ways to be creative in making Jesus known to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to the people around us that God's put around us. Um, yeah, I, I, you may um, you know, think about this in a different way. Um, you know, the disciples are going out, they're going in pairs, and, and the, so the parallel for us is we're not going to go out in pairs. Like, your assignment this week, I'm not giving you an assignment. Like, okay, go find a, find a partner, and then uh, I want you to go stand on the corner uh, at McDonald's across from the high school, and when the bell rings, just evangelize every high school student that comes across. the. Now, some of you just now, you're like, whoa, that'd be kind of fun. Go. Go. But find a way to make Jesus known. Find a way to make Jesus known. Nothing that you currently possess. Think about this. We're, we're like one of the fears that I was thinking about this this week. It's like, well, what if, what if I lose my stuff? What if I lose? I mean, I don't know how this would come about. I, I think, I think one of the fears we have uh, in in submitting to obedience to Jesus and trusting him is he put he puts us in circumstances that are uncomfortable and then we have all these fears right and so this parallel um, for us today as Jesus's disciples would be like I'm going to submit myself and I'm going to submit my family and I'm going to submit the things that I own to the purpose of Jesus and to the great commission and that's a, gr- that's, a, that's a really cool Sunday thing to say. It's a really hard Monday thing to live. I submit all that I have to the, to the propagation of the gospel in the earth. Okay. So, so you may have signed those lending papers with the bank, but if you're thinking clearly, then you know that the house that you live in belongs to Jesus. You may be writing the rent check every month, but if you're thinking clearly, you know deep down that that property belongs to Jesus. See, nothing that you or I currently possess actually belongs to us. It's simply a stewardship on loan from the Lord. So what I'm asking is, are you going to live with hands grasping, holding on to stuff, or hands open and trusting Jesus? See, calling yourself a Christian doesn't really mean that much if if you're not walking by faith. And and not just, the, I'm not just talking about the stuff you have. I'm talking about how this applies to your very lives. Your very lives. If you name the name of Jesus, you need to know that all that you have and all that you are belongs to him. It's his. It's not yours. It's on loan. At some point, and you've you heard me say this before, at some point, that meat pump in your chest that runs on jelly donuts is going to stop. And you're going to stand before him. And you're going to give an account. An account of what? An account of everything that you stewarded. The relationships, 
the physical things, the spiritual realities, you're going to give an account. We've got to stop thinking like owners and start thinking like stewards. We are Christ's representatives. We are ambassadors here on earth. We're working to convince the people around us to defect from Satan's rule and to join Christ's kingdom by faith. That's our mission. I hasten to say, lest we misunderstand or set up unrealistic expectations, that none of this means that the Christian life is easy or devoid of danger for us. Let me just give you the list of those 12 apostles and a couple more here. Uh, I'm skipping to the end of the Gospels, but do you know what became of Jesus' apostles? Um, Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome in, in about 66 AD during the persecution under Emperor Nero. I will not describe for you what Nero did to Christians so that he could use them as human candles for his parties at night. It's, it's graphic. It's incredible. Paul was beheaded. Peter, not feeling that he was worthy to be crucified in the way that Christ was crucified, requested that his executioners crucify him upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the way that Christ died. Andrew. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters in what is now the Soviet Union. I don't know if you know this. Do you know how the Great Wall came about, the Great Wall of China? Because the people that lived in the upper steps of what we now call Russia, uh, the Scythians were so ferocious and so barbaric that the Chinese built a wall to keep them out. That's where Andrew went. I think I'll go see those guys. Tell them about Jesus. Thomas, probably the most active in, in uh, the area east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far as India. Um, they claim that he died there. He was pierced with the spears of four soldiers. Philip had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and Asia Minor. Um, he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. So he's before this governor in the, in the area, and his preaching was so effective that the wife came to Christ, and so then the proconsul was ticked, and he had him put to death. He's like, man, you converted my wife to Christianity. Kill that guy. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, um, he, he ministered in Persia and Ethiopia, and, and some of the oldest reports say he was stabbed to death there. Bartholomew uh, traveled uh, to India with Thomas in, in Ethiopia, and there are various accounts as to how he met his death as a martyr. James, the son of Alphaeus, um, Josephus says he was clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot ministered in Persia and was killed because he refused to sacrifice to their sun god. Matthias uh, was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. Uh, tradition sent him to Syria with Andrew, and he was burned to death. And then John, you know, did you know that John is the only one of the apostles generally thought to have died a natural death from old age? Well, it wasn't natural. I mean, he was boiled in oil, and it didn't kill him. So, um, you know, here, here's the reality of following Jesus. Responding to God's call in obedience and faith does not mean you're going to survive or have a long life. That's the prosperity gospel seeping its way into the church in America. If I just put my faith in Jesus, I have three cars and a big house, and my kids will obey me, <laughs> right? So just fill in the blank. Every one of us here has some desire or expectation. If we just align with Jesus, 
because I believe he's God and he can do all things and, and he likes me and I'm trying to do my best as a human being, then yeah, he's going to give me good stuff. Well, yeah, he promises, he gives good gifts to his children, but they're not always the gifts that we want. He's kind of like that grandparent, like you gave him the Christmas list. And they got you something else that you didn't appreciate till you were in your late 20s and early 30s, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are those grandparents. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to being that person. Responding to God's call in obedience and faith does not mean you're going to have a long, abundant life here on earth. In fact, these men willingly gave their lives for what they believed. One of the reasons Christianity is so weak and anemic in Western culture today is because we love our lives and stuff more than we love obedience. We love our lives more than we love Jesus Christ. Oh, Pastor, that's so harsh. Can't you just turn it down, tone it down a little bit? No. You need to hear it. You need to, you need to, under, you need to wrestle with this this week. You've got to wrestle with this. Every generation since the apostles has had Christians, often the majority of them in a given area of the world, dying for their faith because of the persecution that was going on there. Why should we soften the blow? How can I say to you as a church, man, if you just believe in Jesus, your life's going to be great. You're not going to have any problems. When all of our brothers and sisters around the world at this moment are dying or in prison for their faith. Why should we allow American consumerism to soften the reality that the Bible presents about being faithful to the end of our lives? It, it, it can be costly. We've seen that. You don't think, do you, that, that we will be the only privileged group in the history of the church to have our cake and eat it too? That, that we will embrace Jesus and salvation and not experience hardship or persecution to some extent? No, but you see... That is precisely what American Christianity is attempting to do in our day. And so we compromise. The church compromises with the culture to stay in the good graces. We don't, we don't want to argue. We don't want to fight with this, this other segment of our society over here because then they'll, they'll, at some point they'll get really angry and they'll start to persecute us. Maybe the world won't get angry with us if we just fill in the blank. May I suggest a couple of fill-in-the-blanks? If we just soften our stand on some social issues, if we, maybe, maybe the world won't persecute us if we embrace the alphabet people and give them leadership in, in, the, in the church. There are, there are churches doing that. It's called capitulation. Maybe, maybe they won't be so angry with us if we'll just use their preferred pronouns. Maybe if we'll just take up the social cause du jour Whatever, the, whatever is going on today, and compromise some of our doctrines and positions, then we can just all get along. We can, we can go along and get along, and it'll be great. Yeah, there's only, there's only two reasons why that doesn't ever, 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 ever work. Um, Satan's a liar, okay? The bar is always moving, <laughs> and our capitulation to the culture will never be enough until we've forsaken our faith in Jesus, Okay? And then number two, reason number two is really, really simple. Jesus is intolerant. Uh, I know your chests are seizing right now. It's like, he's intolerant. Why did he say? Jesus is intolerant. He 
does not tolerate sin. He can't. It violates his holiness. He can't. We have forgotten that we are a purchased people. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. We're bond servants of the Lord Jesus. And as such, there are things that he has charged us with that we must steward. We must do according to his will. I'll, I'll give you an example. In the short life of Emmaus Road Church, I have encountered, <laughs> I think we're seven years old, maybe somewhere in there. Um, it all runs together at this point. Um, but it's at seven years old, in the, sh- in the short life of this church, I have encountered people who called this their church home, past tense, called, who refused, refused to evangelize. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't just an admission of fear. I'm, I'm scared to evangelize. It wasn't just a, um, I don't know how to do it. Or I, I need somebody to help me. It wasn't that. Those were not the problem at all. It was a flat refusal, arms crossed, you can't make me. You know what happened to those people? They got out-counseled. That's my euphemistic little term for bye. See ya. I don't think this is the church for me. It's not a, Pastor, will you help me think through how to do this? I'm scared. Will you go with me? Pastor, I don't, I don't even know where to start. It, it wasn't any of those things. It was a, no, I'm not going to evangelize. I'm not going to share my faith with anybody. And I'm like, how do you call yourself a Christian? How do you, how do you know so much Bible and not feel a compulsion to make Jesus known to people who don't know him? Knowing what awaits them in eternity forever. How can you stand with your arms crossed and just say no? Now, again, you, you might be feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of sharing your faith, your testimony, or the gospel message, but, but, but please listen to me. I'm pleading with you today. You've got to find a way to do it. Find a method that works for you. Stay true to the biblical text. Stay true to the theology of the Bible, but you've got to find a method that works for you. This is the last hour, people. What? We've got, we're not going to have much longer to share the gospel. We, we can't build disciples who build disciples until we evangelize, right? So, oh, we're all about discipleship. We're a discipleship church. Okay. Where are the baby Christians? Who are we discipling? Um, we can't skip evangelism. We can't neglect the mission of taking the gospel to those who haven't heard or believed. We know that a person has to be born again before they can become a disciple, and then they go on to maturity and faith, but they can never do those things unless they first hear and believe the gospel message. So evangelism is not, op- not optional. It's great when people who don't know Jesus come into this room on Sunday mornings or come into a local church, a solid local church, and, and, and they hear the Word of God. That's great, but we're not counting on that. We are go-tell people. That's the mission. And when we stop and consider how Jesus was ridiculed and mocked and mistreated, despite the fact that he's the very son of God, it reinforces for us that we will be too. And that's one of the things we've got to accept. 
and expect. We cannot let the fear of these things keep us from being effective for the kingdom. The, the, the phrase or, or variations of fear not in the Bible occur 365 times. I actually looked it up this week. 365. That sounds like a number I'm familiar with. That's a fear not for every day of your life this year. And then guess what? You start another year. And there are 365 times when Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's encouraging. Jesus is providing courage and strength every day of every year of our lives. And it's ours to allocate it or to neglect it. But if he's made courage available, and, and, and hear me, even if, even if bad things happen, even if persecution happens, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't need to be afraid. God sees all. He will give justice with mercy and grace as he sees fit. We can trust him to do what is right always. And when we get to heaven, when we stand in his presence, all of this, regardless of how intense your suffering has been in this life, will seem so small compared to the glory of his radiance and his presence. Our commission, our commission is the great commission. Let me read it to you this morning as we, as we wrap up. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came to them and said, now remember, he's, he's risen at this point. He said, listen, guys, all authority, not some, not part, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, you know what he's doing? You ever see those old Western movies where the bad guys have just decimated a town and the sheriff is just done and he, found, he finds five or six guys and, and he starts pinning on the, the, the badges. He deputizes those guys and they go after the bad guys. That's what's happening here. Jesus is deputizing us. Listen to this again. All authority. I come to you in the, in the name of the God of God and God of gods and the King of kings and all authority has been given to me. All of it. I wield all authority, Jesus says. Go therefore, I deputize you, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe or some translations will have the word obey. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even till the ending of the age. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Even if they rebuke you, even if they hurl insults at you, even if they jail you, even if they beat you, even if they kill you, I'm with you. I'm with you. The challenge we face is the fear of man. This is Galatians 2, 11 to 14. You go back and read that this week. Peter um, changed his dining practice according to the pressure of his audience. Do you remember? He had been eating with Gentiles before certain men from James came, but when they arrived, he stopped. He's like, oh, I can't do that. And the reason the text tells us he was fearing the circumcision party. Paul called him out for the hypocrisy. He rightly opposed Peter to his face because his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And that's the fundamental problem that is universal in the church. We modify our behavior based on the opinions of other people. The Bible describes the fear of man in terms of a trap in Proverbs 29. It says, The fear of man lays a snare, 
Whoever trusts in the Lord, though, is safe. We're not trusting in man. We're not trusting in the approval of our culture. We're trusting in the Lord our God. When we fear man, we're walking into a dangerous place because we're no longer trusting the Lord. You know the solution is? Fear God more. Fear Him more. Fear Him more. Love God more. Rest in the Holy Spirit more. Know God more intimately. His nature, His character, His ways, His love. Be in the Word more. So we'll just close today uh, with Psalm 27, which is a psalm of King David. But I wanted you to just hear these incredible promises from God and just let them wash over you. I don't, what I don't want is for you to go out of here with the predominant thought you take away from today being, I have to and I'm terrified. That's, that's going to stay with you. But listen to, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what the Word says. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Who will I fear? The Lord's my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart's not going to fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing, that, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the covering of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. You hear the, you hear the shift? I'm scared. I'm scared, Lord. But I'm going to do this in faith. And do you hear the, do you hear the tone change in verse 6? Now my head's lifted up above my enemies. And, and I offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Even if your family forsakes you, the Lord will take you in. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. And then he says this. I love this close. He says, I believe, I believe, I know in my heart that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that psalm this morning. We, we return your word back to you. You said this, and you said it to us. It's in your word. It's for us, and we receive it. And so, Lord, we hold you to your word, and we ask for the strength that you offer in your word, we, that our hearts would not fear, though the war arise against us, yet we would stand in confidence. Lord, we ask for that one thing that David asked for. We ask for that same thing, that, that we would dwell in the house of the Lord all 
of the days of our life. Not just in eternity, but now. We would, we would be close to you. In our hearts, we would, we would stay right where you are. And we would gaze upon your beauty and inquire of you in your temple. You know, Lord, you said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We inquire of you. You, you. you live in us. You dwell in us by your Spirit. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us courage in these days. Courage not to shrink back, but to stand strong and to walk in confidence because of your Spirit in us. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Just as Jesus commissioned the 12 in this passage this morning and again after his resurrection, so he has commissioned us. If you are a blood-bought, born-again child of the King, then you have been commissioned in the Lord's army to go and take the gospel truth to the nations and to your neighbors. That's why we're here. It's why the church exists. These are our marching orders. Jesus said, take up your cross, the burdens that we bear, and follow him. Let us then walk by faith and obedience to our great King, Emmaus Road Church. You are sent.